Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Sony Condo. Condo is Sony's core philosophy, which roughly translates into the power of emotional connection and serves as a foundation for Condo Trip, a unique experience for content creators. Under the guidance of leading photographers, filmmakers, educators, and social experts, you'll explore new ways to create, share, and build your brand. You'll be in the company of like-minded creatives and leading representatives of one of the best brands in the world with food, tech, and cheer galore. Learn more about Sony Condo at alphauniverse.com. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Artificials Podcast. Today is a special episode. We are out in Sun River, Oregon at Sony Condo 3.0. I am sitting here with the legendary Ben Moon. Ben, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. So good to be here. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, friends. Dude, I am, I'm so stoked. Uh, for those that don't know... Uh, ben and I got acquainted a few months ago back at an event in New York City with Sony. Uh, actually didn't know who Ben was at the time, but his presence just lit me up inside. I saw this guy and I knew I was just gravitated to him. I was like, I have to meet this guy. You had that, it was that same peak design backpack. That's what it was. It was the tan backpack. And I was like, yo dude, your backpack is sick. And you're just like, dude, thanks man. Like, yeah, I don't even think they make this colorway anymore. And I'm like, dude, I've never even seen it. And then we just hit it off from there. We started talking for an hour and a half about sustainable living and the house you're building and how we're both from the Northwest. And, uh, I didn't even realize you were a photographer until, you know, an hour or so into the conversation, which is, which is another thing I didn't even bring up earlier when we, when, so for those that don't know, we, Ben and I had chatted about this and I forgot to hit record. And so we're re-talking re about this part right now. But one of the things that I didn't tell you the first time was for someone like that's done as much as you have done, like you have zero ego. I was mind blown when I actually like when we did the Instagram thing and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll follow you. And you followed me. I was like, holy. And I start going through and I'm like, dude, this guy is epic. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, just a guy trying to figure it out like everybody else. But it was just that that whole experience with meeting you there was just uh, so refreshing because, you know, um, Going into New York, I'm always trying to be open to experiences, but I also have to kind of keep some, keep my energy level, you know, keep, keep the boundaries up a little bit. Cause it's just, there's so much you can do in that place. And we were at, we were at an event for a camera launch. And so there's just a lot happening and it was just so refreshing to just talk about the real stuff and not even, not, not have to dive into work stuff at all, you know, cause living's living and that's, you know, that's my favorite thing to talk about. And, um, I was at this, um, dive right in here. I was at a, a workshop last year. I was invited to uh, my, by my friend Ruthie Lindsay and um, this writer Jedediah Jenkins and um, these just awesome people and they invited me to this thing in Tennessee called Onsite Workshop and um, I had no idea what it was. I thought it was like a creative retreat because a bunch of our friends were going and it turned out it was like this really intense like kind of like personal development um, uh, kind of like group. a lot of we'd be in small groups for like therapy but the coolest thing about that was you turn in your phone you don't, you don't touch your phone and, and nobody there, um, says a word about work. Like it's all just like getting in deep. And, and that, that experience was really cool. Cause there are people there that were like, you know, celebrities and like big, big shots of all types. But I had no idea, you know, like for, for a week, you're just like, you're talking about the real, you know, going so deep on everything and just supporting each other. And, um, you're just kind of living this high cause you're so present. You're so present and just being yourself instead of like trying to put this front on and being an ego. And I just, I really like try to like remember that. And you know, it's, it's really about, um, really all that matters in life is like, you know, who your friends are and who you, who you can like, who you can really connect with like those people you can call at any time and like, they're going to be there for you. And I feel like the only way to get to those connections is to like really like talk about the real stuff and, you know, all, everything else is just like kind of just noise, you know? Absolutely. Um, that sounds like such an epic retreat and such a unique experience. Uh, when you take away like everyone's armor to say, like our accomplishments are like the things that we like build up around us to like almost like keep people out, I think sometimes. Um, and so it's really cool to have an experience like that where it's all stripped away and it's just like, who is the, who is the, you know, the soul, the human inside of each of these people. And dude, that's, that's rad. I want to experience something like that at some point. Pretty special. Yeah. It's, uh, it was kind of like the, I had done a lot of my own, like, you know, self work and like really trying to work on, you know, improving 
portions of myself that are, I find to be weaknesses or just like patterns that are repeating that I'm just so sick and tired of after all these years. And, um, but that, you know, a lot of that is really personal introspective and like solo, but like to go to dive in with people that, and I do, did know some people there and I was like really looked up to them and here we are. And you know, the most vulnerable moments just, just going deep, you know, and I've never been so stripped raw, but then at the end of it, you just find, you feel alive because you realize we're all dealing with the same struggles, you know, it doesn't matter what level of like, you know, quote unquote success someone has had, like we're all dealing with the same anxieties. We're all just trying to figure this out. And mm -hmm. so, um, all, everything's off. I mean, in social media, like can is so good at like conveying this, uh, facade of everything's great. And it's, that's just bullshit. You know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's, we're all struggling. And every day it's like, I have to like go through the same, you know, struggle to try to get, you know, get myself, um, together to really like believe that I can do the things I need to do that day. You know, it's like, it's like every day you kind of have to just like go through your, you know, I think morning routines are really good, you know, like to try to like keep clear the head, mm -hmm. you know, have the things you can do in the morning to kind of make sure you're, you're grounded and not just like instantly get on the spinning, like, you know, Instagram wheel, you know, and it's like, it's so easy to just pick up the phone and get lost in that world and like see what everybody else is up to. And then just feel horrible, horrible at yourself for the rest of the day. Um, but if you can just kind of be quiet and, you know, I've been using that headspace app and trying to like, you know, even if it's five or 10 minutes, just trying to like, just sit there and breathe for a few minutes. And I found that one to be really useful. And, and then just going for, you know, going for a surf or going for a walk on the beach and, and really just clearing the head. Um, and having Nori, my pup with, you know, she like has to go out. So it's nice to have that encouragement to get out in the, right. you know, get out and like kind of have a little bit of a restart before you just get into the craziness of the day. I love that before we hop into all that, cause we're going to get deep on some of that stuff here. Uh, for those that don't know, why don't you give us a little quick background on yourself, just like a quick brief overview, and then we'll kind of, because you've just, you've done so much, and there's so much to talk about, and then we'll hop into just kind of where you're at now, and, and some of the awesome things that you're currently working on. Yeah, I I mean, the, the brief overview of like, of me, like I grew up in Michigan, moved out west like 20 years ago, road crew in college, and that really helped me like get to travel a bit and see, see the world, and I grew up kind of in the sticks in Michigan, and um, you know. Um, my dad taught me how to hunt and fish and get, you know, being in the, um, just being out in nature and learn how to build things. And, but then, uh, 20 years ago, I moved out to Oregon just to be closer to the mountains and ocean. And, um, I was super into rock climbing. Um, and, you know, basically not far from here, Smith Rock was where I, you know, I climbed there for 20 years, you know, just like putting a lot of time in the, at that place. It's still one of my favorite places on earth. And, um, picked up a camera. I was working for this climbing company called Metolius, um, and, um, started just like slapping slides on the marketing director's table, you know, just, and they were awful. You know, they're just these little photos that he'd seen a thousand times of the same climbs that everybody else had, you know, shot and stuff. And, um, what's a slide? Hold on. It, Cause do we got a lot, do we got these young, we got young a slide, oh, a slide film? Instagram <laughs> photographers and they probably have no idea what a slide is. So a slide is obviously it's a transparency. It's a, you know, small 35 millimeter piece of film. It's literally just the film you shot and you, you know, it was mounted in a little, um, little paper or plastic, um, mount and you set it on a light table and you have a, a little, uh, a loop that you could really like, you know, magnify uh, with your eye. And, um, that was everything you, you'd submit a sheet of slides, 20, 20, 20 to a sheet. Um, and that's how I got started with Patagonia. Like I submitted two, two slides of, of uh, uh, two sheets of slides, 40 slides and they held four and published two of them. And, and so that was kind of Brooke at Metolius and Jane, who's the old photo editor at Patagonia, are the two people that kind of gave me my chance, you know, they saw something in my work. Then I was just this green kid that was trying to figure out how, how to live again and try to figure out my life and living in my, I was living in the parking lot of Metolius and my Subaru and then got a van, you know, and started traveling around and, and, and shooting a lot. But one thing about a slide uh, or transparency or slide film is it is unforgiving. Like, you know, you, with your iPhone or with a digital camera these days, you have like what, 14, 15 stops, <laughs> 13 stops of latitude, you know, to push your photos around. You can shoot them just pitch black and that you can bring it all back. <laughs> um, and a slide, it's a, if it's a third of a stop off, it's, it's getting thrown away. Like, I mean, the clouds will blow out, you know, the shadows will be gone. Um, 
there was no room for error in that. And so I don't know why I tortured myself to learn on slide film, but it definitely, it cost a lot of money <laughs> and, and it just was hard to learn. But, um, you know, you could only submit the, the very best slides. And so you'd send them out to these publications and it was kind of terrifying because you'd have your favorite slides you'd ever shot, you know, and you'd send them off and you just didn't know if you'd ever see them again. And, you know, sometimes they got, you know, stolen off the porch or like they got lost by the photo editor or damaged or like they accidentally poke a hole through your slide or, you know, it's like things happen, you know, and now we have, you know, endless backups of our photos and, you know, can post them immediately. It was all about just sending out sheets of slides back then. And, um, I kind of missed that because it was just, you got, you get a public, you get, or you get your, you get your slide film back, you send it, you label it, you send it out. And then you didn't have anything else to do. Like you, you had to write letters and stuff and emails, but there was no processing, you know, the processing happened at a lab and, and now it's like we're our lab and everything. And there's just, it's constant and like, there's always something to do. And, um, yeah, it was kind of simpler times back then living in my van with my dog and just learning about it. And, you know, Patagonia led to, um, that was kind of the, my core client and they still are, you know, I still shoot for them and, I mean, you've had an epic career with them. What, what's that been like for you, like coming into the Patagonia family from the early days to like, you know, where things are at now? It's just constantly evolving. You know, there it's like, it, it literally is a big family there. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, they've grown so much and, and, um, but it's still family owned. I mean, I've been to Norway with Yvonne and like surfed the Hollister ranch with him. And, you know, it's like, he's, he's just a real dude, you know, just drives an old beat up Subaru and just, you know, he's just the, the, the realest of all, you know, the Cernard family are just, they're real. And I love just going there and hanging out, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they had to transition from film to digital like everybody else, you know, and it was challenging because they had these vaults full of slides and they had to learn how to manage all these submissions suddenly. And, and, you know, Jane Sievert was there for, um, 32 years as a photo editor. And then my friend Eugenie Farrick took over for a few years and now, uh, and she, she left it to work on her own photo work and then this woman Heidi Volpe that just took over who's just a phenomenal phenomenal woman as well and just they've just always had these, these powerhouses in the for the photo department but I've spent so much time in that room and with everybody but I remember back when I was 24 years old trying to submit slides to Jane you know like trying to get, a, get her on the phone I would take me like three or four days to get the courage to call her you know I'd like <laughs> dial and hang up dial and hang up I was like I was so scared to like I, you know just it's it's cool to look back at that and be like wow those you know yeah. I, and I had like four images in their archive you know and I was so excited it's like maybe they'll use one in this catalog you know and and you know now I've got, I got like 1800 images in their archive that they can pull from and it's it's a yeah it's been a been a journey but just like I mean they're constantly growing and evolving and their images but the thing I love about Patagonia is they've always kept their image, um, kind of the, their images have always been real. They're, they're rarely, po you know, they're a lot of candid moments, a lot of real moments. It's not, not these glossy, you know, fake smiley, you know, it's always just, it's, it's just been the genuine, like the grit, you know, the, and I, I had a photo assistant, um, helping me for a while and, and they'd be like, Oh, that, you should just throw that photo away. There's no way. And, and I'm like, no, I'm going to submit this like, for sure, like this is one that they're going to use for Patagonia because it's just had there's a feeling to it, you know. And it, sometimes they weren't the perfect images; they were just the ones that just had something to them that was just on kind of hard to hard to describe. And I've always loved that. And it's funny because I've for the last you know 15 years since I really got established with them, people have been like, "Oh, shoot, shoot it like you shoot for Patagonia." And I was like, a lot of that stuff is happens on the fly and is in genuine moments. You actually have to go live those moments to have that happen. Right. You can't just like curate that and like you know on a you know you can to a point if you get the right people together but on a you know location shoot or something when you have you know all, all these people standing around it's like a lot of those things happen because you're on a long road trip and like everything goes wrong and suddenly you have you know you have people start getting goofy and loopy and they and all of a sudden these ideas come out and you just you make these photos happen because you know you don't have anything else to do and you're just like kind of losing your mind you know and and those those moments you can't Force, you know, on a commercial suit sometimes. So it's like trying to always been the challenge to try to find those like moments. And like, that's, I mean, I guess if I had to define my career in any way, just like it's someone, I just always have tried to find those in between moments, not necessarily the peak performance, but it's more the like, how do you, how do you like recognize when something's like that feeling is happening, you know, and it's not necessarily like um, the most epic sunrise light or something. It's more just like when someone has a look on their face and in the last like, oh, um, probably like, 
10, 10 or 12 years, I've been shooting this portrait project that I just call Faces. And I'm just like been really into that. Just up, up close, 85 mil, you know, shallowed up the field, like just focused on the eyes and the person. And like, it's the same. The black and white series. Yeah, the black and white series. Yeah. So it's the same challenge. I, it's like trying to find that in-between moment and trying to find that moment where someone is their true self. And I would say like of all the, you know, adventure outdoor stuff I've done that's been challenging that that project's the most challenging because it's like you're it's very intimate you're one-on-one face-to-face with someone and you're trying to get them to drop their guard and show you who they are and and you're trying to find that moment and meanwhile like nail focus it you know that really shallowed up the field and but I love that like you have to drop your own guard you have to you have to be vulnerable but not I mean if I'm anxious I see it in the other person's face you know I have to like let let all that go um and like really like um, I remember a photographer friend of mine said like you know you kind of got to fall in love with your subjects you have to like find that like connection mm. for that moment you have to like allow that you know allow that like all these like boundaries and s- these guards we have up all the time just to like kind of strip away for a moment and like actually like see someone human to human you know and it's it's pretty pretty powerful and challenging especially if I don't I'm know getting a <laughs> I'm thinking about your images right now and thinking about I mean I've seen the the eyes and, and it, those aren't normal eyes in a lot of those photos. Like it's like you're piercing into these people's souls and you can tell that you didn't just snap a quick shot of them and then move on by the look on their face. You can tell that there's so much expression and, and depth behind each image. Uh, I have a buddy named Mark Solon who I believe you inspired to do a similar uh, series and he came by my house and, and did a photo of me and he was talking to you know about Ben and so that was actually the first time I heard about you was through Mark and and dude that that series is just incredible and I I think it's so beautiful what you said as far as like getting you know you have to fall in love with your subject that's so important because I think oftentimes we treat you know as artists a lot of times it's easy to treat it for photo shoot kind of like a like a product like it can get so businessy uh that you forget like these are humans these are real people and so how do you how do you create connection you know with your your subjects when you're out on on shoots well i think to the best of my abilities i always try to bring people that i feel like i can click with um to start like i mean it's really important i feel like the most important things in a in a shoot of any type is just to find find a location that's conducive to you know makes you want to take pictures in general but also bring it, bring people with you that you're really going to have a good time with. Cause I mean, it's going to show if, if they're just like hired models from some, you know, agency or something and you don't know them or you haven't actually spent the time to get to know them at all. I mean, that, that is what you need to do sometimes. But I feel like if, if you take the time and actually get to know someone and get to know them as a person beyond like, you know, the work stuff, like, like how you and I got to know each other. It's like, you know, it's like you really you get to the deep stuff then you can really capture the person for who they are. And and then those moments start to unfold where you're actually truly having fun doing out whatever you're doing. And it, you can see it in the images, you know? Right. And, it's like a new genre. It's like soul photography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just like, I think with social media, we're so numb because every image is so beautiful and there's getting like just, it's just a constant barrage of like, you know, just beautiful imagery now and and what what sets things apart it's like well authentic moments never get old you know like things that are real never get old and it's like it's it's easy to overthink things but it's like really just like that's that's what life's about you know like those those real moments and it's not it's about being real and not trying to create this facade that isn't you know it's it's just all all of that's farce you know (laughs) yeah so bad why don't you let's talk about the you know a brief history of your beautiful relationship and journey with your pup Denali? Yeah, so I've just spent the last four years diving into this pretty deep with um, a book that I have coming out um, in January. Um, it's on Penguin Books. This is called Denali. The subtitle is something like "A Man, a Dog, and a Friendship of a Lifetime." But that is basically diving into. Um, a deep story about, a, you know, this, this pup Denali is like a pit, pit husky mix that I got, um, when I first moved out to Oregon, didn't have, the only camera I owned was like a Yushika T4, which geez, those things sell for a lot on eBay these days, <laughs> <laughs> like three times what I paid for it. But, um, that was the only camera I had. I didn't have a clue I was going to be a photographer. So, you know, I had this pup, um, 
who, who was with me through a lot and through, through heartbreak and like learning how to like, you know, live a new life. I, I moved to Bend and in the back of my car and just figured, figured it all out. And so that, um, and then I got, you know, when I was, I was just getting established, like really starting to shoot for Patagonia, um, starting to get some decent clients. Um, I'm thinking I could actually make a living, you know, at this photography thing. And, um, I'd been dealing with some symptoms for a while, um, that just aren't normal for someone in their twenties, you know, like digestive stuff, some blood in my stool. And I was like, just kind of ignoring it, just completely hoping it was something fine. And, um, I was, uh, had a friend like basically make me go in to get checked and I I'm forever grateful for, for to her because, you know, had I not gotten checked out, I, I wouldn't be here today, but I had colon cancer and it was, it was heavy. It was like pretty, you know, it was only stage two, but they, I, I say that um, the difference between stage two and four colon cancer is like a week or two, you know, cause it's like you, it's like a, it grows really slowly. And then once it hits your lymph nodes, it's everywhere. And, and it was like just touching my lymph nodes and it was like, you know, this gas soaked torch, like um, about to touch a, you know, bundle of wood, you know, just, it was, it was just so close to be, just going everywhere and they caught it right then. Um, and, but they hit me as hard as they could. I mean, they pummeled me. I, I kind of was just like, well, it's only stage two. Why are they like hammering me? And I mean, they, they hit me with everything they had. And since then I've lost a fair number of friends that were really young to the same disease and realized that how gnarly colon cancer is. And I'm just so grateful to be here. But uh, Denali was with me through all that, you know, just like he was just my rock through all that stuff. And, and then we moved out, um, uh, well, we, he, he's with me through from in my time in my van to being in Bend to, you know, I lived in um, Portland for a while and then moved out, um, um, was about to move out to the coast and it was his last, last days, but like he, he was with me through so much and like just brought me through, um, kind of, I feel like it just like taught me how to be a real human, just like a grow up and be a, you know, just learn how to stand on my own two feet. And so when he was about to go, I realized that, I'd lived my entire adult life either in a relationship or with Denali, you know, and it was going to be the first time in my adult life I was going to be alone. And, and we made this little film, um, during his last couple of weeks, um, just on the Smith rock and the beaches where I live now in Pacific city. And, um, I had, it was just more to commemorate him and my friend Skip Armstrong, who is an uh, amazing filmmaker, um, lives in white salmon. I've collaborated with a lot. He, uh, he recognized that, you know, Denali was about to go and we were doing some other little commercial project and he's like, Hey, let's, let's focus this on you and Denali. And so we, um, it was like him and this guy Paige and my friend, Justin, who's a musician. We all, we just kind of like went and shot and did this stuff. And it was more just to commemorate that feeling of having Denali with me and to honor, honor my friend. And I didn't have really any grand intentions for that. Um, we, and we tried to do a few different edits with it. And they just weren't making it. We had one, you know, one already for a film festival and I just didn't feel right about it. So I like pulled it and, um, uh, Ben Knight, um, who was just a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker, um, had offered to like take a look at the footage and see what, see what he could do with it. And, um, he had just finished that Patagonia film damnation and worked on it for four years. So I was like, man, you're not, you're, you, need to, you need to take a break. And so I kind of tried for a while to still edit it myself and went through all the footage and tried to like figure out how to make this story what it meant to me and a lot of my friends and mentors and people that I looked up to a lot were just like, Ben, it's time to like, you know, Denali's gone. It's time to like, let go and move on. And, but something just, there's something there that just wouldn't let me let, let it go. And I just like, I knew there was something far beyond the story about my dog, my dog and I, you know, it's just like, that just, we all go through struggles, but I felt like there was a universal nature to that and something wouldn't let me go. And and let me move on from that. And so gave the footage to Ben, Ben Knight, and we struggled through it for, he, he works kind of in solitude and he finally was able to like craft something and he sent that to me. And I was just like, he was able to capture the feeling that I was trying so hard to convey. And our friend Katie Klingsborn, she, she had interviewed me and gotten all the kind of the, the, the core of the story and Ben had written it into something that's like really special. And the, when we finally shared that at a film festival, it was in Colorado at five point, um, the small festival, like 800 seats. 
And I remember sharing it for the first time. I was so nervous. And I remember going up on stage afterward, just like bawling because it was such a, you know, personal film and everything. I was so terrified to share how something that was that um, close to home. And I just looked out at the audience and everybody was like, on and I was like, "Whoa, this is weird!" Like, <laughs> like it's hitting home. Like, as I'd only shown it to a few friends at that point, right? And then it ended up kind of uh, winning a few awards at that festival, and then went to Mountain Film and got a really great response. Opened up for Mayru, which is like, you know, I've known Jimmy Chin for a long time, and just like and Renan and Conrad and all those guys, I just looked up to them for so long. And so to be in a theater and like have that film like opening for them was just a big big honor and just it was really special and um then we released it online and I was just kind of like I, I remember I was like sleeping on my porch in Portland because it was hot out in the summertime and the nights are just so much nicer to sleep outside and I, I remember turning on my phone in the morning after we shared it online and the first day it was pretty chill um like maybe 5,000 views and the next morning I turned my phone on and it just like it exploded I mean it was it was like I had no idea what was going on but it like some blog had posted it and it went from like 5,000 views to a million views in like the course of hours. And then it just was wow. like, by the end of the week, it was like 8 million <clears throat> views or something. And, um, every publication I could possibly think of, you know, from, you know, the today show to Oprah to everybody just wanted to, to like, you know, find out about this film. And I didn't, I was literally sharing it to share with my friends. And so mm -hmm. like, I didn't have like an associate producer or somebody here to like, someone to help me manage all of it i just right. like woke up in the morning and was like i had I lost my voice by like you know 9 a.m one day because i was just like on call after call after call and so how did you you're such a humble and calm and and, and soothing individual how did you how did you handle that that had to have been just like a shock like what what did the, the next few months of your life look like what did that do to you you know mentally physically emotionally uh, the rise, how did that feel riding that wave up? Um, it was, that week was intense. I mean, I'm just like, I'm a really private person. So to have like suddenly the spotlight on something so personal that I expected just, I kind of was just doing as a tribute to my dog, you know, and wanted my friends to see it. Like it, it wasn't something I really thought would get out there. It, it felt, yeah, it took me a while to get my balance. And I, honestly, that's why I moved out to the coast is like it was just I needed a little space and, and time to digest it all. But some really cool opportunities have come from that. And, um, you know, I just was able to make some connections. And um, the first the first thing that I um, filmed that I did um, after that was like through I met the guys at uh, Yeti Coolers like they were doing they were doing a huge number of films a few years ago. They did like. I don't know, like 50 films one year and um I want they're just asking if I had any stories to tell and I'd met I'd met them at this uh the Scott Scott Blue and um their old marketing director I met them at a it was at a barbecue at outdoor retailer when and uh Chris Christopherson was playing it was like this like private little barbecue and just like you know they had legends singing there and it was just like a cool it was when they were kind of first getting you know established mm -hmm. in the outdoor space and they had just loved the film Denali and asked me if I had any stories to tell. And so I, um, I just met through social media, um, this guy, uh, Daniel Norris, who's a pitcher for the tigers. And, um, we'd, got, we'd been talking about doing a road trip. So we ended up like, uh, just telling, telling his story. And like, I went out to Tennessee and drove, drove his old van. Like he's like got an old 70, I think 77 Westie named Shaggy that we Sick. limped our way out West, like driving 50, 55 <laughs> miles an hour in the middle of winter, which was just a complete adventure and made a little film called off season. And then another little behind the scenes film about our friendship. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's kind of not, you know, the film was generally was shared on Vimeo. So it wasn't like I got like money for views or anything like that, but like the intangible result of like, sharing that story with so many it's just been a lot of it yeah it has helped um helped kind of push things along and like you know being able to make some more film you know more films and be able to work with people that i really want to work with and and now had the opportunity to share it in a book form which was kind of a wild experience in itself like when that when it was going crazy online i had all these like agents and book publishers and thing people you know and people from hollywood like calling and trying to get get a piece of it and i just didn't know what to do about it and the only person I knew who was an author um, that kind of would maybe know that world 
I'd met uh, John Krakauer at one of the Meru premieres, and I just sent him an email and said, "Hey, would you be willing to like talk to me? I've got all this stuff going on. I don't, I don't know how to. I don't, I don't know anything about the publishing world whatsoever." And he called me, and we talked for like forty-five minutes, and he introduced me to his uh, his old editor, Mark Bryant, who used to edit like um, he edited like Into Thin Air and Into the Wild, and some Sebastian Younger's book, uh, um, The Perfect Storm, like all these books mm. that are just like. Yeah. legend you know and um he he was just in the outdoor space when he kind of became a mentor and a father figure to me like he really just helped helped guide guide me through the process of writing the proposal and help me find my agent and and help me struggle through a year and a half of trying to like outline the story about denali's life and my time you know my battle with cancer and and so that being able to tell that story in the book form is something i never expected to do you know i i expected once the book proposal was done that they're gonna you know hire a co-writer or like a ghostwriter or somebody for me and i got this book deal with penguin and they're and they're like all right like send in a draft when you're ready and i'm like excuse me (laughs) i'm not a writer and they're like no we liked your proposal like go for it and i'm like uh oh (laughs) so so what's like what's what's the difference so the the obviously you guys did the film and you never in doing the film like you said it was just to share this with your your friends and, and close family and then it turns into this huge thing. And so in writing the book, how has it been like reliving those memories, those experiences? And I'm, I'm sure the book probably goes into much more detail than the movie. And so like, how's that whole, you know, journey and process been? Yeah. I mean, the film was like, you know, it's a seven, eight minute feeling, you know, it's a, and it's also, um, you know, it's told kind of from Denali's perspective. So it's, it's a different, different view. And I really, the book, I had to go back and dive deep. I mean, it's the only way to like really be real <laughs> is to just to, is to write about the vulnerable stuff, you know? And it's, 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 um, been a really therapeutic, but at times agonizing process. I mean, I kind of joke that writing is about, you know, 80, 85 to 90% procrastination and, and, tortured mm-hmm. and like, and then like 10% flow, you know, you're just here. Um, when you can finally sit down and let go and let, let the words come, like it's actually easy and that part's fun. But man, just getting, getting into that chair and like opening up has been, been the pro been quite the process. Um, especially just has been therapeutic. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like I'm sure like, I mean, I would imagine you still have things you're probably working through with that. And I'm wondering if like being like writing has been a help big time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you definitely have to relive and put yourself in those moments to, to get there. And it's not, all, I mean, a lot of those memories are painful, but you, you can't gloss over them because it's like they're, that's what made, you know, made you who you are today. So it's like, it's kind of a, yeah, it's just having to get real with it. And, you know, I, I dove a lot deeper with like the cancer experience too. And like what, what that really was like. Cause I feel like so many people feel so alone and I felt alone, like being, especially being younger, I was, you know, I finished my last chemo treatment a week before my 30th birthday. And so, you know, it wasn't something I expected to go through and, you know, everybody wants to be there for you, but you really don't have the energy to like interact that much with people. So it's like hard to like, you're just surviving at that point. And so I think that's why Denali's friendship was so powerful is because he just this silent force, like always, always next to me. And you have a dog, you understand. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're um, just, there's, there's a magic there that is hard to describe. And I, you know, just even having Nori here at this event, like watching her like cruise around a room and like connect with people. It's like dogs are special beings, man. They, they could, they know things and they understand things that we don't know at all, you know? And, but yeah, I just want to be really honest with my cancer story too, because it's like a lot of people just don't want it. And you know, I've had colon cancer. I have a colostomy bag and it's like, that stuff is, people don't want to talk about that. They're embarrassed to talk about, you know, that, that part of, you know, our, our systems. And it's just like, I just wanted to do real talk about that. You know, it's like, it just it's like, Hey, yeah, I, I have to deal with this. I've been dealing with it for 15 years and I can, you know, life didn't stop. I just had to figure out how to make it, make the best of it, you know? And, right. and being in a hospital, Western medicine setting is excruciatingly um, invasive. And, um, you know, you, you, you check, you, ch- you have to check your, like any sort of dignity at the door, you know, you're just getting poked and prodded and, you know, it's, it's a really invasive experience, especially if you're a sensitive, you know, person like, you know, I know you are. And it's like, I, I, yeah, just being in that place, it feels so cold. And, you know, the, the nurses and doctors are doing their best, but 
you know, when you're dealing with like the amount of patients I have to deal with, it's hard, you know? And so mm. I just want to be real about that, but also add some humor to it. Cause like mm. some things like the darkest moments sometimes are hilarious mm. in their own weird way. Like, yeah, it was kind of, it was challenging to relive those experiences, but it was also like really, um, I was trying to find a way that, that others could relate to not just going through cancer, but like if you're just going through any life challenges, just to find the, find the like silver lining or just find the, realize that there's another side to it, you know, you can get through it. And so how did you cope with everything? Cause I, I know dealing with cancer and I'm sure that opened up other things, you know, it, it, it you when you go through trauma like that, like it's like things stack upon each other and it's like, it's not just cancer that you're going through. It's your personal life changes, your uh, drive changes, your confidence changes, everything of your emotional state, your mentality, everything changes. And so how did you how did you find the willpower to just like power through that because like today it's like you're just this this gentle force you know and it's like you have that calm you have that confidence but it's like from your core like you radiate energy but not nervously you know I guess I mean when you're faced with I don't even know if I was realizing it was more mortality. I think I was just like, I just trying to get through every day at that point. But it's like when you're faced with something that challenging, you have two choices, either like roll over and like become really depressed and, you know, have it like get you down. And essentially you're just going to wither away and die inside. Or you like just, you, you just learn to make the best of it. You like, you you like just keep fighting. And, you know, I had friends around me that like would get me out. I would, I would have, you know, I'd be nauseous and couldn't do anything. And I, they just like dragged me out to go on a bike ride or go out, like go hang out at Smith Rock. And I would just tried to find people that like lifted me up, you know? And I remember like three weeks after my surgery, when I, um, well, they had had to go in twice for, for, for the tumor wasn't, they literally split my, you know, abs wide open. I, I went out to Smith Rock and was just like so excited to be there. And I was like, there's one of my favorite climbs there called Chain Reaction. And it's just like overhanging a rat that's like just beautiful. Mm. Um, I was like, I want to climb that right now. And I got up to the last move, which is like a really steep, like you have to throw backwards and your feet cut loose. Uh But I didn't have any abs. So I like my feet hung and I was just hanging from this, like these two big holds. (laughs) And just like with my feet dangling in the air and trying to swing my feet towards the wall again. But I couldn't because I had no abs, ab strength. Like they, they, you know, yeah. I was three weeks out of a surgery. And, and so I like did it again and like had to like climb pretending I, you know, just had to be really careful how I did it and was able to get to the top. And it was just like, I mean, I was like 15 pounds light. I was like, you know, just broken, but it's like, I just wanted to make the most of what I could do, you know? And it's like, people are like, what are you doing out here? Like, why are you even here? You should be like in bed or something. I was like, no, I got to like, I just got to keep living, you know? And so it's just, you just have to make the most of it, you know, and, and figure out ways of like, yeah, just find people. I, I met so many incredible people during that time that I still, you know, um, collaborate with today and like that lifted me up and helped me through, through the times. And it's like, you know, when you go through an experience, illness like that, some people can't handle it, you know, it's too much for their spectrum. And, mm-hmm. and I, I get it now, you know, it's like, it's like we're, we all got, we all have a lot going on. Some people will just like, kind of fade into the shadows and there's other friends that just like come out of the shadows and you're just like, Whoa, I didn't, had no idea, you know? And, and like even the outdoor industry, I was trying to kind of, I was getting kind of tired of shooting, climbing and serving all that. You know, I was just trying to like get evolve, you know, into music and other things and like be, I thought I wanted to get into other genres of uh, photography just to like keep things fresh. And I had a benefit auction that, um, just to help pay for my bills. And we did it all via email and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't social media then to like spread the word and um the outdoor industry i mean there's like they donated like patagonia and a bunch of companies only like a, a room full of gear like it was like literally like a whole room and we just you know we all raise money for the for to help cover my bills and stuff and i i realized how much love was in that you know in that community and that we're I mean, i'm still in today and like this community that we sh- you know work in it's like it's it's yeah, it's work, you know? Yeah. It's like, and there's a lot of corporate stuff and commercial stuff, but it's like, it's really a family yeah. and there are a lot of people and like, you know, and, and it's, it's pretty special to just, it was that, that moment for me made me realize like it was, it wasn't just the outdoor industry. It was like, there was a, it was a core of people that really cared, you know? And, um, and then route who rallied and helped support me through all that, you know? And, 
and Patagonia published a bunch of images that that year and helped just like helped me get through you know because I my image oh man my photography was terrible that year like I mean when you have no energy when you're right. just like just poisoned by chemo and radiation like you, you have nothing you know <laughs> I think that's so incredible though hearing that story shows the power of community that would have been so difficult for you to handle on your own by yourself and there's so many people that don't haven't found their tribe yet and they're dealing with these same challenges and they're going through these things alone and it's dark. And like, that's what you, sometimes people fall into the, the darkness. Uh, and then sometimes people that have community and that are blessed oftentimes get to shoot out on the other side into the light. And so, uh, why do you think it's so important to have like community, especially in today's world of fast pace, everything, social media, and just like, I feel like community is more important than ever you know, how has community, being a part of a, an awesome community, allowed you to, to live a rich life? I mean, community and, like, those you can truly connect with and, like, bare your soul to, like, that's that's living, you know? I mean, it's like there's no there's no other way to really do it. I mean, you, you can be successful in so many ways, but it's just hollow without having community and connections and the people you can share, share it with. And, like, you know, and that's what's really cool about, honestly, this event here. Like, I mean like Sony bringing together all these people it's like it's it's phenomenal like the friendships that have have grown from this you know space you know and like fellow creatives actually like like talking to each other and helping each other and getting to know each other in these beautiful places and not not just like you know it's not a competition we're all in this together you know and realizing that to like help help support each other as creatives and like it, it lifts you up I mean having community really like helps you like see that we're all going through the same struggles we're all trying to figure it out I mean there's there's photo legends here that I like can't even describe, you know, some of the guys oh, have yeah. shot some of the, some of the most iconic photos of all time, you know, it's like, and a lot of people don't even realize it. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, um, what's Neil's last name? He, he shot the, that shot of Muhammad Ali, like with Sonny Listen, like, yep. it, like the, the, the arm, the arm yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, David Burnett, who's become a friend and he's, he, I mean, he shot Bob Marley back in the seventies, like before he was, you know, blew up and, you know, all these iconic images from over the years that those guys have shot with. And I was just talking to David this morning about, you know, doing portraits with all the Apollo astronauts, you know, this past few months. And just like, man, the stories and the legends you can learn from these, you know, these creatives that have been doing it for so long. And you realize that they're just, trying, you know, they're in their, you know, later parts of their career, but they're still just trying to figure it out and still just have that, you know, that joy and that spark in their eye for, you know, learning new things. And that's, you know, I read a quote um, the other day. It was like the two most important things are the, the ability to, the ability to change and the ability to uh, trusting your gut and being okay and able to grow and change. I mean, think it's like someone asked me that this morning, like, what do you, what do you need to, what do I do to like grow as a photographer, you know, and how do I, how do I make it in this world? I was like, well, I've been literally like everything I've done, in photography has been trusting my gut. Like some, something told me that I needed to go that direction. Mm -hmm. And I saw a door that was just cracked and I just really wanted to, you know, that's where I wanted to go. And I had to like push that door open. Like you can't just like expect someone to like come drag you through that door. You've got to like trust those little intuition moments where you're like, yeah, this doesn't make sense right now. I have all this other stuff going on, but I need to go do that. Like that, yep. that person, that thing, you just got to trust that, that there's something drawing you there. When the, and, yeah. When the force is pulling, don't resist. We're so intelligent. We're such an intelligent species naturally, like through our, our biology, chemistry and, you know, inner world that your body's like you're it's not going to lead you in the wrong direction. Have faith. And when it pulls, catch that flow and, and run with it. I, I love your response to community. And like, I feel so blessed to be a part of the Sony family. Like, that's how I met you. Had I never come, you know, had I not been part of the Sony community uh, through AOV, like you and I would have never met. And, and, and it's so beautiful being around just the collective energy, like seeing how bringing a group of people like this together can just like elevate you every day. You know, just the energy's high. You can feel the energy. You can look people in the eye. You can see the spark. You can, you can see that you're, you're speaking with real people. And it's so nice to be around your tribe and people you can relate to, people that understand your struggle. They understand the highs, the lows. And there's just something just so special about that. I want to turn the page. 2019, dude, Nori's sitting here in the living room. Uh, how's that been, you know, 
getting a new pup and kind of moving on from Denali and, and, and getting with it. Um, you know, like, I think everybody's like, how did you get so lucky with the dogs you had? And I was like, well, you just got it. Like, same thing as like talking about trusting your gut. You know, it's like, I, you just, there's a feeling and it's like, there's a connection that you just know. There's no, it's not, not a doubt. Like when I got friends sent me the photo of, um, Denali's or Nori as a puppy, like, I, you know, like, oh, check out this cute pup. And uh, I was just like, I saw the photo and I was like, that's, that's my, I, I just knew right away. And then I, you know, when I met her and she's just like, I, I ran around the yard in this place up by Mount Hood. It was this, uh, my way home rescue, this little foster place. Nori was a feral uh, pup. And so I guess she, for the first like two or three weeks, she just hid behind the couch. She was, she had never had human contact until they, her and her whole litter got picked up. And I ran around the yard and like laid down and she just like laid her body over my head and it was just like so comfortable. And like, even just being here, it's like, you know, seeing her just like work a crowd and like walk around and like cruise and like, she's, you're like, how do you trust her off leash? And how do you, I mean, I don't even have a collar or leash on her a lot of times because she's, she's just like, I've spent so much time with her that I just kind of, you know, a lot of verbal commands and just knowing, but it's almost like unspoken commands too. It's like, you're just kind of able to like be in that same space. And part of that is because I was writing the book proposal for Denali, the memoir when I first got her. So I spent every minute, you know, with her for the first few months. Cause I'd like cleared my slate. I didn't have, I was just surfing, you know, um, going out free dive and doing, doing my thing at the coast and just so excited to be living there. Um, and the beach is the best place for a dog. I mean, where I live, there's a lot of open beach and a lot of empty trails. I'm like able to like, you know, really let her roam and be herself and like mm-hmm. get her confidence. And so, um, yeah, just having, I don't know. It's like, I feel like Denali was like a reflection of me and my young uncertain years. He, you know, he was, he just like the kind of the dog I needed then. And, and Nari's like, kind of more my like grown up softer self too but yeah she still has her little anxieties that she's still struggling through and same here you know it's like yeah. we're we're all just trying to figure it out you know but um I feel like dogs are mirrors you know I'm always a little sketched out by someone that when they have like some crazy dog that's all, they're like oh sorry I have a bad dog I was like dude <laughs> I'm not too sure about you <laughs> I love you man I can't believe dude as you were saying that before you said the mirror I literally was just about to be like dude like to be honest Dogs are a complete reflection of their owners. Like I have never met an awesome human being that did not have an awesome animal. When I go to someone's house and they're like, oh, ah, dogs always tear. And I'm just like, (laughs) I look at them like, yeah, I get it. It's nothing to do with that poor dog. Like I get it. Um, And that's so that's such a great way to, to really feel people out is to to see that's why it doesn't surprise me that you know nori can be off leash and you know most people just don't spend the time just like relationships with friends and 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 everything the same people that probably don't spend that time with their animals probably don't have real honest and deep relationships with people probably either um you know which not to get into psychology and go deep down that tunnel but uh i'm gonna go and turn the page because i know you and i love to to chat about that stuff, but I want to talk about something that I know gets you super stoked. You have an awesome new house that you're building on the Oregon coast. I can't wait to come visit. Please do. <laughs> we, I mean, we had a great chat in New York about sustainable living and uh, all that good stuff, man. Renewable energy. Like, talk to me. Uh, let's talk about your house. You know what? What inspired you to to build? You? Like you're building, like guys. Just so you know, he's building his own home from the ground up. Like I've seen the photos; it's super epic. I don't know a lot of people that build their own house. You know, I mean, they buy homes that have been built. People have lived in them, and I mean, this is this is sacred, man. Like this is your place. Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's been quite the journey. Um, I had been looking for a while to find, try to find a place that, you know, and, and nothing really had felt right until I um, bought this little piece of land. Um, it's across the street from the beach and I've got, you know, it's all South facing. So it has, you know, I, for two things, I mean, living in the Northwest, you need sunshine and light is really important. And just being able to feel that, like, you know, even in the middle of winter, when the, when the sun's out, you just want to feel it, you know, and, and it's got a, a South facing ocean view, which means I'm going to take the, you know, the storms are going to hit, you can kind of see the storms coming from the Southwest. And so in the winter you get that, but then this, you know, it just, it's so nice to like stare out over, over just out into the abyss, you know, it's like, I, I love, I love that feeling of looking out at the ocean and seeing, seeing things. And so 
but building it ground up, man, what a journey. My dad always built all the houses we lived in growing up. And so I saw it going down and I, I framed houses for a while when I moved out to Oregon because I couldn't find a job in my field. And so I, I definitely spent my time working with lumber and, you know, there's a there's a chopper. Chopper. There's a chopper. <laughs> For the ben, condo vent. Yeah. Ben and Prince McClinton. I'm like, that's my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, building the house, it's like, it's been quite, it's been a journey. Um, and honestly, it's like, it's kind of a dream come true. I mean, not kind of, it is. And to be able to live in a place where it does feel like I can, you know, grow my own food. It's like south facing so I can have a garden and a greenhouse. And, um, you know, you can forage in the Northwest for so much. I mean, it was a, where where I was at was like the Nestucca tribe lived there for you know you know how many thousands of years and it's like it's such a rich place full of you know there's the river estuary and um, all the seafood and sea life you know like you can free dive for you know lingcod and sea bass and you know um, scallops and dungeness crab and you know yeah. the, the clams and there's just so much goodness from from the ocean and then you know all the you know, not to mention all the mushrooms you can forage and, you know, just giant bowls of chanterelles. And, um, and then right now the huckleberries and the salal are just like, you know, like just, just a feast, you know? And, and so and the elk and the deer, I mean, if you're, you know, there's a way to really sustainably live there off the land. And I just, I don't know, I, I didn't want to, there are a lot of other places I really, really love, but it's like, it just felt something about that place reminded me of my home in Michigan and like the dunes and how the beach there kind of brings people from all over, all over the world. And it's like, has a community feel there. And, you know, it can be a complete madhouse in the summer, but I love how I can just like post up and I've met some of the coolest people just like sitting and chatting on the beach, you know, and Nori will just go wander up to someone and introduce me to people. But my house is, I kind of just wanted to build a place that I could share with friends and like people are always wanting to come visit. So I wanted to have like a space that I could share and, and, I wanted to build a place I could share with friends and like really like build that, you know, have those, have a kind of a sanctuary where I could have those conversations and, and then also have a separate workspace that's dedicated to just, you know, like I walk across a breezeway. It's not that far. It's like 10 feet or something, but it's like I walk across and, and I can go to work and then come back and like shut that door and be that done. Separation. Separation. Dude, necessary. And that's, yeah. I love how building your home building your own home like allows you to be so much more thoughtful and and you've been like when you explain your house and the layout i'm like dude you you're so thoughtful like you didn't just like toss up a house you thought about which direction it faces where you're gonna put the greenhouse where this is gonna go you were talking about uh were you telling me you're gonna do solar right oh yeah and like our i've been working with this electric vehicle company called um rivian and we've been working with the honol foundation too on this documentary about kind of using repurposing some of their batteries for um, solar projects, you know, across the world. And, um, as, as the vehicles, you know, reach their end of life for, um, the, what those batteries can do in an electric car, they can be repurposed in like power city blocks and, you know, homes. And so RJ was like, when you get to a, like a little battery system to like, you know, so you can like store the power to you at night and, you know, and so yeah, like using the solar, I mean, I built up specifically built a shed, you know, I didn't want to, I couldn't do a shed roof because that, and I couldn't put solar there. I needed the you know, normal pitched roof and have that face to the South. And everything was just about the light. And like my editing cave is in the Northeast corner where there isn't normally light, but usually you're in, you know, when you're in the editing room, you're trying to block the light out. And so I try to like position everything. So it was kind of a lot of my architect friend and I, um, he's a buddy I surfed and climbed with a lot over the years. Um, he's a commercial architect in Portland, but he's this, I just love the way he thinks. And over the course of the last couple of years, we kind of designed it using Venn diagrams. We tried to like figure out how each space should, should interact and how things should overlap. And, and being a really like sensitive and empathetic person, I like, I need my space. I need to retreat, but I, but I also wanted to be able to share public spaces too. I wanted to be able to have a spot that, that everybody could feel welcome and stay as long as they want to and not feel. Cause like, you know, living in a small house, like I lived in so many small houses, like over the years, you know, and like, we're just climbing all over each other. And when somebody's there, you can't really work. Cause it's just, it's like kind of, it's hard to like make someone feel really welcome. And so I just wanted to like make these little, like a room behind a room behind a room, you know, it's like a little crow's nest that I can kind of go be like completely by myself or tuck away here. And so it's kind of like a whole series. It's a really simple layout, but yet there's all these little spots to kind of tuck away and recharge and find, find your own little solitude. And and that's kind of, you know, that's, that's how I kind of 
thought it through is like really trying to think of utilizing all spaces, but also making it so people feel welcome and those conversations can happen and that magic that is life, you know, it's like all those little connections we can have. So absolutely. I think it's so important to design like a place based around like how you interact, like my home, uh, like the upstairs is for my girlfriend and I, and that's like calm energy upstairs. It's our sacred ground downstairs, high energy design studio, art studio, music, like that's where we create friends. We hang out. We like, and that's that energy. And it's nice to keep it separate because when we move out of that energy upstairs, it's like, this is recharge, you know, calm, get grounded. Uh, and it's nice being able to not to separate those spaces. And so dude, it's, it's a blessing. You're kind of living out one of my dreams, uh, building your own home, buying some land, living off the land, re- uh, renewable energy sources, uh, gardening, greenhouses, all that stuff. And working with Rivion, we don't even really touch on that. Like, that's epic, dude. You're working renewable energy now. And I know, like, that's a project that's that's really lit your soul on fire. I know you were even telling me you were a little skeptical at first. You're like, wait, this electric truck thing's going to be able to do what? And, yeah. you know, and, and now, you know, and, and, and now that it's a real thing and it's awesome, like, what's that experience been like? And how has working with Rivion even just, because I'm sure you get an inside glimpse and, and you probably become more... Uh, involved in the space of renewable energy and learning about that. What's that experience been like? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been, it's been really wonderful because it's kind of like all the things that I've wanted to, to do, you know, working for a, a company that has that sort of vision, you know, like, I mean, it kind of like they, RJ Scarange, the founder, I mean, he's just a, he's a visionary. I mean, he's in his mid thirties and just like, he'd been working on this company for a decade, you know, in, in secret. And I, I came in in the last couple of years, you know, and through like a random Instagram message from the creative director, uh, Larry Parker, he's like become a really dear friend now. And I was really skeptical. Like I, I, I was like, yeah, these, this sounds like a great thing, like a rig that I would actually want to drive. That's electric, you know, cause I, I'd, I'd wanted to go electric for a while, but I hadn't been able to, you know, I wouldn't be able to get up my driveway, you know, like a, you know, like a low clearance Tesla, you know, it's like, you need, I needed something that I could, actually uh, drive into the places I want to go. And that's basically, they built this truck and SUV from the ground up to be a, a vehicle that is insane. I mean, like the tech, the, the tech and the performance of this rig are just, I mean, out of this world. I can't even, it's like having a sports car and like a really rugged truck and all combined into one. Um, but it makes complete sense. It's like, I don't know how, why it took so long to get to electric. I mean, I think it's because the battery technology wasn't there yet and that's still evolving. And, but, people are kind of skeptical like about, you know, electric still and like, Oh, well, how are you going to get places and charging? But it's like learning and the, getting the insight and realizing that the charging networks are going to be as ubiquitous as, as gas stations. Like oh, yeah. not like two years from now, like, like soon, like it's happening. And, and my hope is that as that technology evolves, batteries will be coming a lot cleaner, a lot, you know, that technology will evolve and, you know, Cause there's still, there's a, there's an impact to everything we do. It's still raw materials being used and like the, you know, the materials used for batteries is, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And, and so, but we have to transition out of, you know, um, you know, just look, we have to transition from this, you know, econ- fuel economy that we're in. It's we just like, it's just off. not, it's not, it's not sustainable. Um, and, and, I just kind of uh, had a friend tell me he's uh, my friend, John, he ran the conservation Alliance. Um, he was just like, you know, Ben, you can like recycle all you want and you can do all this stuff like with, you know, trying to, trying to do good with not using plastic, but you drive like, you drive like 20 minutes and you've like basically like the amount of plastic that could be made from that little bit of fuel is like, you know, it's like, it's, we don't really think about it. We just jump in our car and do things all the time and airplane rides and stuff. And so, it's just like, it's kind of astounding, like how much it's just like become a part of our lives. And, and I mean, internal combustion engines are just like loud and they just don't make sense in a lot of ways. You're ex- making, exploding it's, things over and over and over. Like, dude, it's insane. My, my co-founder Travis and I talk about it all the time about like, like driving should be for like when you're road tripping, like I'm going to Oregon. So I get in my car. I shouldn't be driving 10 minutes to the grocery store, five minutes around, like you should be biking. You yeah. should be and, and I get it. And I mean, a, it would, it would help a lot with the health 
the just the state of mental health, physical health, emotional health, just being outside and taking the green belt instead of jumping in your truck and, and driving five minutes, you know. Uh, and then, you know, automobiles, electric skateboards, bikes, like the whole e-movement. And now it's like, guys, you can you can get around faster on an e-bike and it's better for the environment than you can in your own truck or car. You know, and I hope to see them opening up, you know, new bikeways. You know, how cool would it be to get off the street and, and, and cruise through a mountain on a new bikeway to places? And how enjoyable would that be? You well, know, and quiet, I think it would allow people like, to slow their lives down. Yeah. Like cars, are, you get you can get places in a rush and biking. It's like society. It would literally cost society to just slow down. Well, uh, just they're quiet. I mean, I, the other day I heard a dirt bike go by my house, like, like the neighbors, like kid or whatever. And I was just like, man, like, cause I've been riding these little, um, electric, uh, this company Ubco is like the, these little two by two, um, bikes are like two wheel drive, kind of like a little old, like, like an old trail 90 or something. Uh-huh. Um, and but they're electric and they're just like, you can get anywhere on those things. And they're just like silent. Like, whoosh, you just go and you know, he just, and my neighbor, at least a surfboard shaper. He's like, he commutes back and forth to into town on his little electric, um, looks like a little electric dirt bike. And it's just, he just whooshes by silently. I mean, literally it's like, I just don't hear, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just such a more pleasant thing. It doesn't make sense. There's no fumes, you know? And if you have solar on your house, you can recharge, you recharge those batteries, you know, clean energy. And it's just, it makes sense. It just, it just makes sense. Period. Dude. I, uh, so I'm hoping the Tesla truck is awesome. I want to put a deposit down. I drive a gasoline turbocharged car. It's loud as hell. It's easy for us to all talk a big game, you know, but I think you really have to vote with your dollars. You really, and, and that goes for everything that goes for, you know, whether it's electric vehicles or you're not using plastic or buying from companies that are truly doing good and then and, and have sustainable practices and, and have high quality supply chains. And then and they're not, no one's being hurt in these things. Like all that stuff matters. Yeah. Like we have to, like I just was doing a little thing for Rivian with, with uh, Alex Honnold. And one thing he said um, during our interview really just stuck with me. He's like, you know, we all talk about all these like climate accords and all these things that you know, are going to happen by a certain date or whatever. He goes, but that's all great. But at some point we actually have to do the transitioning. Like we can't just like keep doing what we're doing and think that things are going to change. We have to, just like life, you have to grow and evolve and change and you can't just do it the way it's always been because that's what's comfortable as more companies come online which everybody's building electric now and like it's things are gonna happen rapidly with that you know they're they're here for real and and it's the price is going to come down and be affordable for everyone and that's what's exciting and then hopefully one of the rivian's things is like they want they want to make it more of a car share thing too where it's less about like everybody you know like make it so you can actually like subscribe or like check out this vehicle for a while and they a lot of the vision behind all that stuff is to try to make it so you can you know cut down on the amount of vehicles on the road and it's modern, they're it trying makes. to figure it out yeah like in the big cities you don't need how often you actually drive your car you know and like even where i'm at it's like they sit a lot a lot of times and i i live close to where i want to do the things i want to do so i don't have to drive that much but right. um and so just figuring out ways of like thinking outside the box. I think that's what we all got to do, you know, and just think critically about the choices we make and, and try to live in a place, live in a way that, you know, is the best we can for, for the means that we have, you know? And yeah, like I still get on airplanes. I, I still have to fly for work and stuff, but I try not to like, just take a frivolous trip for, you know, just the heck of it because it, or, you know, just be like, Hey, do I really need to go do that? Or can I wait to run those errands tomorrow when I have other things I got to get to, you know, like yeah. just thinking about it, just, just taking a second and being like, do I really need to do this? Or, or before you click buy on an Amazon shopping cart, like, do I really need that? Or is that just something I just thought I needed right now? Or actually, I just need to find the one I had before, you know, or, you know, whatever. Just think about things before you do them, I guess. And, Absolutely, man. It's been so good chatting with you. We're coming. We got to wrap it we up got, here. We got tangents. You and I will just sit here and just go at it all day long. So we like to normally end the podcast with our guests, just more or less sharing uh, words of wisdom, inspiration, motivation uh, with our audience. And so, you know, whatever you're feeling called to and whatever you want to communicate, now is the time to share that message with them. The, yeah. Slow down. Go get outside and... Um, take a, take a walk and without, you know, just leave, leave the camera, leave the phone, leave, leave everything behind. Just go like just pause and like, just think about where you're at. And, and then also just work with people that 
really lift you up. You know, that's, you know, who you, you know, you are who you surround yourself with. And so like, think about all those times you're, you know, all the time you're spending on set or whatnot, like bring people that you really want to be around, bring people that lift you up and it'll, it'll really make you and everybody else a better person and be good for the community. So Ben Moon, ladies and gentlemen, Ben, it's an honor to have you on the show. You are one of those people that lift me up. I feel so blessed and grateful to call you a friend, bro. Thank you so much for just coming on and, and doing this. It's been fantastic. Man, Prince is a real honor. So I can't wait to talk for another five hours after this. Yeah, buddy. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Sony Condo. Condo is Sony's core philosophy which roughly translates into the power of emotional connection and serves as a foundation for Condo Trip, a unique experience for content creators. Under the guidance of leading photographers, filmmakers, educators, and social experts, you'll explore new ways to create, share, and build your brand. You'll be in the company of like-minded creatives and leading representatives of one of the best brands in the world with food, tech, and cheer galore. Learn more about Sony Condo at alphauniverse.com.